they're some of the sickest people that I've seen. I use the context sick in terms of like chronic health issues like digestion, sleep, mood, fertility, energy, these kind of things are people who've tried to be really, really clean with their diet. And bearing in mind that most plants have developed a, a wealth of kind of plant defenses and toxins just to protect themselves over time. Uh, and when you don't understand that, and when you try and consume foods with say lots of cellulose, green products in them, unless you're a ruminant and have four stomachs and able to break them down and convert to other foods like proteins and things like that and other forms of carbohydrate then it can be pretty challenging for the human digestive system and when you start to compromise the digestive system you start producing more bacteria more endotoxin damaging the digestive tract producing anti-metabolic substances uh, and you, the whole gamut that kind of can degrade physiology over the time and nobody really thinks of that they just think oh natural the naturalistic fallacy just because something is the way it was doesn't mean that's the way it should be welcome to the win at life podcast a place where we share everything you need to know about restoring your metabolism so you can break free from restrictive diets and build a body and life you love. I'm Kitty Bloomfield, co-founder of New Strength and your host this episode. Today I'm joined by our good friend Keith Littlewood to talk about why some of these so-called health foods like raw green veggies, nuts, seeds and vegetable oils may not be so great for our health after all. I remember back in our crazy diet days, I cut out all sugar, fruit and dairy from my diet and I had green veggies of some sort at nearly every single meal. I also made my own almond milk. I ate a lot of nut butters and mainly consumed polyunsaturated fats. I always felt I was doing the right thing, eating what I thought was so clean and healthy, but I was bloated and constipated. I rarely slept through the night. I had painful and irregular periods. I was tired all the time and my hair was falling out. So I thought I'd sit down with Keith and look at the impact these so-called health foods have on our digestion, hormones, and thyroid. Once you've listened to this episode, I'd love for you to leave a review on Apple Podcasts and let me know what you liked most. And as always, take a screenshot and share your biggest takeaways on Instagram stories and tag me at K-I-T-T-Y-B-L-O-M-F-I-L-D so we can spread the word and free other women from restrictive diets. Hey, Tomo, welcome back to the Win at Life podcast. Needs no introduction. Bit of a regular now on the show. Can't get rid of him. He just wants to keep coming on. He keeps messaging me. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) I ask him on because he's a wealth of knowledge and it's really good to tackle some of these more complex complex subjects around these sort of typical, you know, busting. I think we could call call it the the Tomo myth busting sessions maybe. I thought you were going to say the Tomo Busty sessions. <laughs> um, yeah, well, I, 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 yeah, I can bust some myths from time to time, I guess. Sure. You're a bit of a myth buster, you know. You can get into all the, uh, the, um, all of the the scientific details. But today, the topic of today's podcast is just because you can eat it doesn't mean you should. And I did wrote this post a while back, which I got so much hate on, like so much. I remember messaging you. And that was the exact topic. That was the title, sorry, of the post. And just talking about, you know, some of the typical fitness industry foods that are deemed healthy, you know, green vegetables, nuts, seeds, grains, you know, vegetable oils, these polyunsaturated fats. And it's just so fascinating how these foods have become like glorified as these really healthy foods when in fact when you actually look at them, they're really hard to break down. They contain a lot of digestive inhibitors and anti-nutrients, but people just don't want to borrow it. Yeah. Like, like it's crazy. Yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, the, the, the unfortunate thing is that first of all, for most people in the fitness industry, no disrespect to them. When you get a lot of people that are coming out and have got this notion of how they've been trained, it's a bit like driving a car, isn't it? Quite rigid and, uh, well-defined rather than kind of being able to change lane efficiently and understand uh, some of the complexities. And, you know, this kind of current zeitgeist of nutrition is still, you know, the whole dogmatic belief about how holistic foods are, and yet you're not really entertaining foods within that by questioning them holistically. It's like just because nuts have vitamin E and doesn't mean they're a great source of vitamin E because usually the E in there is to stop the, the, the oil's going rancid, for an example. And, uh, and you know, whether, whether you know, I, even even you kind of bring it into slightly different areas of the fitness and well-being industry, like the yogi kind of industries as well about, you know, uh, perhaps veganism and, you know, some of, the, some of the sickest people that I've seen, I use context sick in terms of like chronic health issues like digestion, sleep, mood, fertility, di- uh, digestion, 
energy, these kind of things, are people who've tried to be really, really clean with their diet. And, and bearing in mind that most plants have developed a, a wealth of kind of plant defences and toxins just to protect themselves over time. Uh, and when you don't um, understand that, and when you try and consume foods with, say, lots of cellulose, green products in them, unless you're a ruminant and have four stomachs and able to break them down and convert them to, to other foods like proteins and things like that and other forms of carbohydrate, then it can be pretty challenging for the, for the human digestive system. And when you start to... Uh, compromise the digestive system you start producing more bacteria more endotoxin damaging the digestive tract producing anti-metabolic substances uh, and the whole gamut that kind of can degrade physiology over the time and no nobody really thinks of that they just think oh natural uh, mm. and just the naturalistic fallacy just because something is the way it was doesn't mean that's the way it should be and when it comes to food choices sure you could perhaps argue that processing of certain foods and additives uh, certain modern ways that they're being done can have a, a very negative effect, but processing doesn't necessarily mean bad. For example, um, you know, when you make butter, you're processing milk to a degree. When you're, um, you know, processing certain other foodstuffs, you know, you can you can either be taking away or adding something in. It doesn't necessarily mean it's bad, but uh, consuming foods just because they're in their whole natural form doesn't necessarily equate to being healthy. Mm. So let's um let's work through I think some of the different foods that are you know touted as these really healthy foods that you should be eating more of. I remember let's start with green cruciferous vegetables. So like broccoli. I know cauliflower is not green, but you know spinach. What other kale. ones are there? Kale. You know Tobacco, radishes, cauliflower, Brussels sprouts. All yeah, those. Brussels sprouts. In spinach to a degree. I used to eat them at every meal. So I'd put spinach in my smoothies. I'd have green beans for morning tea. I'd have heaps of broccoli at lunchtime, cabbage. I'd have heaps of cabbage at dinner. So, you know, I mean, really, they taste like shit. Like I look, think back now and I'm like, how did you just eat so much of these? Like they really, they don't, your mouth doesn't water for them. They taste bitter when you bite into them. So let's let's break down these vegetables and, you know, how did they become these health foods? Like- how did, yeah. how did it get to where it is today? Well, it kind of reminds me of a time I was flown out to some billionaire's island to help rehab his back. And the chef came in and said, what would you like for breakfast? And I said, yeah, I said, what's available? He goes, anything. I, had, I said, I'll have steak and broccoli. And that's what I was going through my really clean paleo type phase. Um, and I was at my most constipated and anxious and insomniac type states. And I think that's the thing is that uh, there's a lot of kind of nutrition uh, advocates, stances, understanding like uh, perhaps holism. And one of the the uh, places I studied with suggested that there were four white devils, which is sugar, milk, bread, and salt. And actually, when you understand what those foods do, but using that term, good, bad, devil, godlike foods and superfoods. And it's like, sure, we, there is there is certain um, credence to saying that when you eat lots of plenty of foods in their whole form, they're particularly useful. But if you look at, say, fruits, for example, uh, ripe tropical fruits, other fruits, fruits that can be stewed. Some fruits are better than others because you can digest them easier. Some fruits are better than others because they have less seeds. You know, foods that have certain kind of seeds in can have an effect on the digestive system. So it's talking about the context of the particular food stuff that you're talking about. Now, it's, it, it, when you apply that to the green thinking, I think it's everybody has got this kind of idea that everything that's as green and brown in its wholest form is the best for you. But like you said, we know that kind of like brassica vegetables, for example, are very high in, in, in goitrogens and something called iothiocyanates, which is uh, basically the anti-metabolic anti-thyroid substances that can slow the thyroid down, primarily because they inhibit, inhibit the conversion of uh, the iodine and tyrosine molecules to, to thyroid hormone that can be offset a little bit by increasing a little bit of iodine within the foodstuffs. And uh, there are certainly plenty of studies that showed that, say, I think it was like Polynesia or somewhere like that, where they're consuming high amounts of, um, or South Seas somewhere, high amounts of the brassica type vegetables and pak choys and things like that, that they were more prone to thyroid cancer, primarily because the, the thyroid is being inhibited. Um, now, as I said, you have these kind of two molecules that convert to thyroid hormone. And if you don't have enough iodine available, it kind of pr produces that, that goiter that you see the swelling of the neck. So 
I think with uh, a lot of people these days, those foods have been put in, again, perhaps from some of their nutrients that you see. You see some people talking about sulfurophane that you find in broccoli and broccoli sprouts and stuff. But a lot of people don't take that context. They, they look at that specific nutrient. We talked about, say, vitamin E in nuts. And people talk about sulfurophane in some of the brassica vegetables. But those foods, if you don't look at the other context that they provide, these kind of anti-thyroid, anti-metabolic substances, you then start throwing lots of them in. Now, you know, one thing that I used to do about 15 years ago was have steamed vegetables, steamed broccoli and not cauliflower because it tastes like fart. Um, but it's like, you know, I don't understand these people that go, mm, yeah, uh, cauliflower pizza base. What pizza base? Oh, they're just lying to themselves, I reckon. I used to convince myself that I liked it too because I was just trying to be healthy and trying yeah. to like this, you know, tasteless, bitter food. Yeah. And it's, it's also, you know, you kind of start throwing these things in, say, the brassica vegetables and you're eating clean, then you're not eating enough carbohydrates. And when you get that kind of double whammy of a low energy, low carb state with the kind of anti-thyroid, anti-metabolic substances, all of these foods that uh, haven't been cooked or, or kind of uh, prepared so that they're easily broken down, these are the things that start to kind of uh, kick in and you'll see people go, oh, I feel cold or, oh, I'm not pooping every day. I'm not sleeping very well. And it's like, well, you're eating foods that have a really high demand on the digestive system, accumulate more bacteria, produce more endotoxin. They have an anti-metabolic effect combined with these kind of goitrogenic um, and cyanide-like qualities. Uh, and, and that's another problem as well, is when you perhaps start to combine these foods that are rich in like cyanide type things, uh, compounds and then you take the, the kind of cyanides that are produced within the air and the anti-metabolic substances that you breathe in if you live in an urban area and perhaps some of the other chemicals that you might find within makeups cleaning products rubber particles coming off tires or brake pads uh, the metals that come off there and you know you look at the plastics that pollute the water you know you can understand why some people go i eat really healthily but i feel really shit and it's not just one it's not Sometimes it can be the foods, and as we all know, that you can create some great change with the foods. But sometimes it's these converging factors from, from the from other aspects in the environment that cause the problem. Mm. Um, and what I just think is that is um, we are still kind of conditioned to think that it's always our fault, and we're not eating healthy enough. Mm. Uh, and sure, you can argue the fact that when people eat lots of junk food that's really processed, that's high in fats um that's high in uh you know that combination of lots of sugar and lots of fats together and the calorigenic effect when people consume more mm. but then that's also tied up in someone's blood sugar and metabolic responses maybe they're craving those foods because their metabolism's messed up they've inherited those traits they live in a harsh environment and then they're kind of you know going to try and prop up the the, the metabolic system by eating these foods and craving these foods because blood sugar is just not being balanced efficiently but you can still see these effects and you can still see people that eat these kind of very green, healthy diets have some very similar things like poor blood sugar regulation, you know, energetic responses, mood, menstrual cycle irregularities. I mean, I, I, I've lost count of how many females I've seen that have eaten in this kind of low calorie, raw, green, low carb, like yeah, diet. fish oil, yeah. yeah. PMS is yeah. off the charts, fibroids yeah. are off the charts, um, uh, and ovulation, amenorrhea off the charts. And, until you kind of understand that these foods, they can be tolerated, but you don't necessarily thrive on them. You know, we'll, we'll reach for anything. And I think broccoli, for example, was it's not a it's not a natural food. I think it was um, cultivated by the Romans back in the early early part of the, the you know um, the first or second century to feed their troops, which were marching forwards, and they didn't have much thing. But when you boil up some vegetables and you've got some sludge there that has some things and you prop it out with some other stuff, then you can kind of make them feel less hungry. But, you know, to say perhaps these foods, you know, I can understand the argument to a degree because I was promoting myself. You should be eating the stuff that was around 10,000 years ago. Well, if you were doing that, you wouldn't have salted caramel ice cream and you'd be pretty miserable. Right. So, and, and, and the thing is, is that, yeah, just because the way it was then, doesn't mean that we should be doing it now and i'll add some um context to that we should be eating foods that are rich in kind of polyphenols vitamin c gives us lots of energy has you know rich foods like fruit has plenty of potassium in that helps our 
blood sugar get regulated much more efficiently and much easier. So we should be gravitating towards those foods. We should be going for well-cooked starches like potatoes and, you know, carrots and uh, underground vegetables, perhaps sweet potatoes and all of these things as well. But if we keep going for these foods and we're trying to be as natural as we can with them by not breaking them down, keeping them behind cellulose and these undigestible food sources, then you're going to have a hard time on, on your digestive system, which can impact your energetic system and how your hormones function as well. So I still think it's just this, this kind of faulty narrative and naturalistic fallacy about how we should be living. And bear in mind, the world's a much more stressful place than it was then. Uh, sure, you could argue you might get an, uh, a stone in the back of the head or you might be kind of uh, someone pillaging your village and stuff, but there would have been quite long aspects of harmonious time, you know, even not washing your hands, for example, before your meal would have been contributed to, to mortality to a degree and, you know, various diseases that we hadn't got used to. But we're at a time where the world is probably at its most polluted than it's ever been. And I can say that with some confidence after looking at a lot of research papers on on the roles of different hormone disrupting chemicals and how they have a significant effect. Uh, and if you're trying to do things like go low calorie, keep it green, brown, poorly digested foods, then you're going to have a hard time. Uh, and that's why some people, when you say, oh, I've had loads of people contact me and say, I fasted, I've gone keto, I've done this. My hair started falling out. I've got low testosterone. I've got low progesterone, you know, be it male or female, it can have a, a pretty negative effect. And, Often the people who perhaps done quite well on it were probably reasonably robust and flexible in the first place and can tolerate that. Mm. I think that's, you know, like you've got to ask yourself, like look at the food and go, can my body actually break this down and assimilate the nutrients and does it have anti-nutrients or digestive inhibitors because like you said yes it may contain nutrients but can your body actually absorb them and does it have other things in it like that will affect thyroid function and i think that's what people don't like well that's what i didn't know you know prior to eating this way and i just because the fitness industry said this is clean and healthy i hammered them at every meal and i also just want to add to i think because people will listen to this and go, oh, so what, you should just never, ever eat any green vegetables. I'm like, well, no, like if you, you know, I still will have like, you know, if we have a curry or something, a green curry, like it'll have some green vegetables in there, beans and things. Or if I go out to a restaurant, we went out for dinner the other night and I had oysters to start with. And then I had this nice twice cooked duck and it had some like um, bok choy, I think it was, but it was cooked in butter and it had this nice like, um, Oh, plum. It was amazing. I had this plum sauce and I ate that, you know, yeah. I think when your d- digestion is good and your metabolism is good, you know, you can have those foods in your diet and it's going to be fine, but you don't need to pack them away at every meal. And I think yeah. if your digestion is compromised and you're really working on healing, you might have to just cut them out for a period of time and then have them when you feel like them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, kind of, the, uh, it's a really interesting story. I mean, if you, if you just go back and look at things like uh, poorly prepared foods that have caused deaths, there are, there are quite a few cases. Uh, two things that spring to mind is one, I think about five years ago, four or five years ago, uh, residents in a nursing home died after eating a poorly cooked um, courgette stew. Why? Because, you know, they have these anti kind of metabolic nutrients and if they're raw and undercooked, to compromise biology that's relatively hypoxic, not able to utilize oxygen well, you are creating a high cyanide thiocyanate state that can cause these problems. And the other things, if you go back and look at, um, I think in the Philippines, they have one of the biggest cases, uh, which was, um, oh God, what's the, it escapes me right now. Um, It's like a, oh, I've forgotten what it's called now. Uh, Oh, I'll come back. (laughs) Anyway, it's, uh, it's like a root vegetable. It's, like, it's a type of vegetable that if you don't cook it really, really well, it will kill you. And the 30, 30 school children died at a school mm. from this poorly cooked um, cassava. That's it. So, and, and cassava has been shown to cause lots of thyroid problems. I think there are, uh, there's an old story um, of a, a researcher going into Africa and found that these people with just like slight unmotivated didn't cultivate their farms didn't really do anything that well and he found that they just weren't cooking their cassava properly and when he taught them to do that he came back a few years later and they developed all their farmland it was all kind of organized 
everyone was more motivated to get up and do stuff. And this is the effects that foods can have. And, you know, cassava, it, it is not, it's not an isolated case with the school children. You type in cassava deaths, you'll see really? that. Yeah, just type in cassava deaths, undercooked cassava. Um, and it, it, it's been quite problematic in the past. So foods, you know, I want it in its most natural state can, you know, cyanide's pretty natural <laughs> from certain foods and it, it can kill you if you haven't got it right. But you've got to talk about the context of biology, keeping your aerobic metabolism flowing. And there are certain foods that can just inhibit aerobic metabolism. And mm -hmm. these kind of like cyanide rich foods can certainly have an effect for sure. Yeah, it's... um it's it's so interesting isn't it it's like also too like if you think you just think about your taste like if you go back to that you know you bite into raw broccoli cabbage spinach it tastes bitter and to me that is a sign of well, don't eat that yeah you know like it's like poison and anything that's green you know it naturally has toxins and things in it to stop animals from eating it right whereas yeah fruit doesn't contain any toxins it's sweet it's pal it's like it's yum it tastes nice animals want to eat it yeah. because they need to you know spread the seeds um but yeah it's just oh, i just can't believe how much broccoli and ca cabbage i used to eat cabbage every night and i at least one the good thing i did is i cooked it but probably not well enough and i served it with coconut oil and salt so i guess yeah. if you do want to eat these green cruciferous vegetables how should you prepare them to lower these anti-nutrients and digestive inhibitors they just cook, cook them well long mm. enough and mm. they'll be fine mm. i mean i think you know with these nutrients you talk about the green stuff so if we look at animals that do consume lots of green uh matter, cows uh, well get cows at ruminants don't just, they mm. just don't live very long you know, it's a burden having that many stomachs and that much metabolic processes going on. There are literally two two outliers within that. And one is the the great elephant, I think, the um, which can live up to 70 or 80 years. And the other one is the giant tortoise or uh, yeah, giant, giant tortoise. But they will eat. They can go up to six months without eating or drinking sometimes. And they but they are prone to obviously storing a lot and they, they prefer fruits over anything else, but will eat lots of leaves as well. But I think one of their favorite fruits is like prickly pears or something like that or something ridiculous. Um, but the, they're generally the two outliers. And it's it, it's generally looking at the concept of higher metabolic rate within the kind of more advanced um, vertebrates and mammals. And they tend to live longer and obviously birds as well, which can live a lot longer because they're, they're very good at keeping their digestive tract clean of excess bacteria uh, an endotoxin, you know, Eli Metchnikoff, the, uh, the embryologist and uh, immunologist, he could be called, who won the Nobel Science Prize in 1906. You often took animal stomachs apart and found like even animals that were carrions like crows and ravens that ate lots of rotting meat. They had such a, a high metabolic rate and were able to keep their intestines clean. Even from eating rotting meat, they had very little bacteria in there. But when you start to accumulate foods that don't digest very well and your metabolic rate becomes compromised uh, and you're, you start producing all this ex excess bacteria, Metchnikov talked about how putrefaction or basically auto-intoxication and poisoning occurred because of all these, these substances that were in the digestive tract. And, you know, the current zeitgeist with, with stuff is like is just to throw more probiotics at it. And I think that's problematic as well because you need to – make sure that you're breaking down the foods and that, that will come from, you know, thinking about the foods and how tasty they are. Perhaps if you're thinking about a nice steamed broccoli salad, you're not going to be salivating over that. Then that's pure conjecture that you just might not be stimulating the digestive process of the salivatory responses to reduce the enzymes in the saliva, break down the food more efficiently. And there's a double whammy there. If your metabolism is not great and your energy's low you, your thyroid doesn't function you don't produce as much hydrochloric acid you don't break down the, the foods more efficiently and then therefore you don't stimulate the production of the digestive enzymes from the pancreas to break down those foods into their you know constituent fats proteins and carbohydrates so you know it, it all kind of leads into many many things um and so this is where i think eating tasty food trying not to be you know if you have a problems with weight then obviously you need to be uh careful of perhaps how much fat you consume sometimes mm. making sure that your carbohydrate responses are useful and you can use carbs efficiently and just understand about kind of finding the foods that create that kind of calorific balance in in tune with how your metabolism works your hormone works how much exercise you do 
Uh, and I, I just think sometimes that, sure, you can eat these foods that are perhaps going to be helpful for losing weight because you can fill yourself up without I was, eating. I was going to say that's what I used to do too because I was hungry. So I'd yeah. eat all these like free foods, we'd call them. And that's another thing. It's like if you're hungry all the time, like you need to eat some food. Like yeah. Yeah. You can't just, oh, you know what other things I see? Those konjac noodles, you know, those high fiber noodles that were literally like zero calories and they just give me the shits. Like I'd eat them. So I'd mix up one of my favorite things, a big bowl of cabbage, konjac noodles, soy sauce and salt. I know. Terrible, terrible. Um, Okay. Let's talk about nuts and seeds because that's another big one. Yeah. Nuts and seeds. So can you talk about like, cause I really feel like this is such a good example and it really made things click for me is bears, what they eat when they go into hibernation and why, what they eat when they come out. Bears, what do they eat in hibernation? I don't know. Oh, sorry, when they go into hibernation. So, you know, they eat nuts and pufas and it slows down their resting metabolic rate and then they come out. Nearly... You mean like squirrels and stuff like that? Yeah. Yeah. Like bears, like when they, yeah, they, they go into hibernation in the winter. I honestly don't know what bears eat. I, I, I always, <laughs> I, I always think of Winnie the Pooh and eating lots of honey. <laughs> it's lots of honey. But, oh, you know, like they go into hibernation because they eat all the they eat nuts and seeds and pufas and it slows down their resting metabolic rate and they come out nearly like type 2 diabetics and then they go and eat honey and fruit, which. I, I must admit, I'm, I'm not really an expert on, on what bears eat, but I'll kind of, <laughs> you know, hibernating as such is like you will, I, I'm not sure how purposeful is that they're eating those foods to slow it down, mm. but the, the metabolism will obviously slow down anyway. And you'll see an increase in fatty acid oxidation because there is no other food available, right? Mm. So you, then you will start, you, you have a kind of double whammy effect of, you find uh, increased serotonin during hibernation, you find increased breakdown of fatty acids, you see a slowing down of metabolism. And it wouldn't surprise me if there's a type two diabetic effect because mm. one, when you have chronic uh, oxidation of fats, and if you've been eating lots of nuts and seeds, that can contribute to th- those lipid peroxides that mm. can have a negative metabolic effect. Um, and that's you know that's how people kind of tie in things like keto and low carb by burning lots of fats. It's like it's great if you can tolerate that, but it's well known because if you look at the diabetic state the inability to use glucose and the permanent oxidation of fatty acids, lipid peroxides and the superoxides that cause damage to how the cells function, ultimately also kind of damage the aerobic metabolism and your ability to to oxidize fats and carbohydrates. And Mm. so this is kind of a common theme of kind of excess, uh, particularly unsaturated fatty acids. You can get them with saturated fats, but to a much lesser degree, like when you've eaten too much fats, for example, but the unsaturated fatty acids, fatty acids can uncouple mitochondria and cause lots of damage. And so when you have lots of those in the diet, it's easier to go towards a type two uh, diabetic state or kind of, you know, insulin resistance, uh, what some people call pre-diabetic states and, you know, that high, high glucose and uh, high insulin inability to utilize glucose efficiently. But usually that kind of, uh, favoring of fatty acids because you can't utilize glucose efficiently so you know you see it with other animals who kind of favor nuts and seeds like the rodents like squirrels and stuff like that although these days there's so much food around in parks and stuff i think most squirrels i've seen in in kind of london and stuff are quite bulked out and um don't seem to hibernate that much these days i think they're eating (laughs) crap that's in the bin um but yeah that I, I think <laughs> they look, look like they could uh, rob you of your, your wallet as well. Half of them. So um, what, but, oh, yeah, sorry, keep going. No, so I, I, I think that, you know, y- you have to look at the context of the fuel that you're consuming and its capacity to promote what you could call coherent organized biology over time. Mm. And we know that when you kind of start to lose that the ability to u- utilize oxygen and particularly carbohydrates as a fuel, you know, that's the, that is the diabetic state. That's why diabetics have a hard, they mobilize fatty acids chronically in the heart of diabetics. You see lots of the unsaturated fatty acids, particularly DHA. And that's, that's associated with poor metabolic outcomes when that, when that's chronic over time. So let's just go back and talk a bit about like the digestive inhibitors and anti-nutrients in nuts and the high pufa content and why that's not so optimal for digestion. Yeah. Well, I, I think another thing to consider going off at a tangent slightly is everybody brings these uh, talks about the kind of high poofer content and it's cardioprotective. 
But what a lot of people don't seem to, to, to get is that when you have unsaturated fats, it, it kind of forces cholesterol to be pushed down. You actually promote more unsaturated fatty acids within the liver. And that's why you see cholesterol going down. You also see cholesterol being degraded. And you also see the PUFA content in the cell membrane start to increase, which means they become very unstable when there's any amount of oxidative stress. So the PUFA content is, it can be particularly problematic. Uh, most problems I've seen with a lot of people, I had a solicitor once lady, she used to eat a bag of nuts a day and she wasn't going to toilet. She'd go once every two weeks. And it was literally from eating the nuts a day, took them out and got her to eat fruit. And she was going every day. But, you know, that these kind of uh, if you're eating lots of nuts and bearing in mind, unless you know the source, nuts have been stored in warehouses for a long time. They may have gone rancid. They may have had um, these kind of uh, high proof of content that's gone rancid. And that can cause a problem because when you start to oxidize um, uh, or consume oxidized fatty acids, particularly in the digestive tract, there's a, quite a few studies that show like fatty acids like DHA uh, and EPA that when they kind of are oxidized at, at the digestive wall, they can promote leaky gut and intestinal hyperpermeability. Um, so, you know, these are just some of the issues that you get. And obviously some of the, 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 the nuts and seeds promote kind of irritation. They have a, like a serotonergic response by stimulating irritation of the bowel. But I think it was Ray Pete who got me onto the idea quite a few years ago where he said that, you know, they're designed to irritate the bowel. It's kind of almost nature's way of saying, hey, have the fruit, but you've got to you got to spread the seed a little bit. It's like a self-fulfilling kind of system for, for, for plants that produce very ripe, tasty fruits mm. and more so with the smallest smaller seed ones so when you see berries like strawberries you know raspberries blueberries acai which is very uh, popular as well mm. so mm. many small hundreds and hundreds of very small seeds that can have this bowel irritating effect um, and some of the seeds and like the kernels like cherry pips and kernels and apricot kernels that they're often said don't eat them because they're very very high in cyanide and there have been some deaths associated with kind of consuming the you don't get many people that are stupid enough to eat those seeds because they're quite big and they're very foul tasting once you've broken them open um, but you know that they can have an effect as well but yeah that they, they are ultimately designed to stimulate usually um you know a serotonin and histamine response to make you poop them out Mm. So again, I guess it's going back to like, would you say like eat them infrequently, you know, like it's okay. Like if you want to have some nut, nuts every now and then have some nuts if your digestion can handle it, but just, you don't need to go pounding nuts and seeds yeah, continually I mean, day in, day out. If I start working with people and probably like you said, I get them to cut them out initially because it's just easier. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, you know, some foods like Brazil nuts are really useful for selenium content sometimes. So I would kind of bring them back in. But I think seeds, you know, that everyone talks about, say, pumpkin seeds or sunflower seeds is high omega-3 content. It's like most of the omega-3s in those seeds, if you're eating them in the roasted form, they've already oxidized. What's the point? Mm. So if you're eating them in the raw form, they probably oxidized anyway because they've been out of what their natural environment anyway uh, and gone oxidized anyway. So saying that you need to eat these seeds for these high omega-3 content just seems a, a bit of a misnomer. Um, and so the, I, I, those kind of things, I would say there's generally not a need to eat them unless you're, unless you're hibernating and there's literally nothing else around. Um, but I think you know, strawberries, there's probably a reason why strawberries, you know, they're part of a, a berries. You, you see them uh, around more so in summer periods. Now, if you're trying to eat kind of strawberries all year round and you're eating lots of these small seeds, it's quite likely you're going to end up with an irritated bowel. So um, that, that could be one of the reasons why. So you might find going, bringing them in during when they're in season, for example, is useful. Mm. I love strawberries, but I, I just don't eat them on a regular basis enough to notice any things. But when you see these in people's diets, you know, they have like a berry smoothie or berry granola yeah. or berries yeah. and yogurts and this and that. And, you know, it is one of those things that can contribute to, to, to uh, digestive irritation. And let's talk about because the other thing is that the so we've talked about the green vegetables, the nuts and the seeds. How about like the grains and the beans and the legumes and you know, like the lentils and you just I used to smash heaps of them as well, thinking they were healthy. Mm, yeah. I mean, it's like, you know, the, the legumes and things. I think grains has a particular issue. And you know, uh, I think with grains another factor as well is the amount of pesticides, and you could argue that with many of the other crops that are around as well is that there are some very, very potent p pesticides. Uh, this is why people talk about 
veganism being much healthier for the planet and for the person. It's like when you understand what, when these crops are grown in monoculture or even what is proposed by these big agribusinesses to have them grown using genetically modified, the pesticides at very low doses can cause problems. Uh, and, you know, some of the studies I've been looking at is that these the, the studies themselves have not been efficient or accurate enough to notice what the effects of the low dose is. So everyone t- thinks about uh, dose response curves. So the bigger the dose, the, the more significant the reaction to, to hormones you might see. But what they've actually found now is that actually where you started at this low dose and it wasn't inhibit, it wasn't creating an, an effect. Now we're looking at different markers that that low dose here is now down here. And plus it's bubbling around with loads of other pollutants. Cause you imagine pesticides just don't they're not just there on their own there are plastics there are estrogens there are um soots there are flame retardants there are so many different things heavy metals and all of these can have an effect and when you stop spraying them on crops there isn't a cumulative load within the body uh and you know you, you can't discount the effects of what these grains and crops are being exposed to then you kind of look at the other things that they have you just, like a lot of people eat like lentils and legumes for the protein oats. content as well people yeah. smash oats oats are very very irritating especially the outside husk if i i tried having a porridge with my wife a few weeks back oh the gas for the whole day it's <laughs> for me they're really really irritating but i'm someone that if i eat grains for two or three days i kind of come out of mouth ulcers uh, yeah, and, wow you know there there are certainly things to consider with that but you know a lot of people think about the proteins that you get from these things and they're poorly poorly digested proteins they kind of increase the amount of irritation within the bowel you know these fibrous foods that everyone says you need to eat lots of fiber Mm. actually increase the amount of intestinal irritation anyway sure they absorb water and that can be helpful for passing out um stools but you know they they have an effect and this is why you know, don't you had a, a big bowl of bran fiber? You kind of know when you've had that, right? It's like, it's not a pleasant start to the day. It's very smelly, not very well formed. And that's because the irritation that goes on at the bowel. Mm. Uh, and I think the, the, the same is true of other legumes and stuff. It's like, not you shouldn't eat them because some of them are, are very, very tasty, but you need to understand that perhaps some of them have anti-nutrients. You know, you, you think of like, Phytic acid, for example, in some grains that can inhibit certain uh, minerals and perhaps metals being consumed as well. Mm. Uh, so I think you just have to look at it in the context of is it nourishing you? Is it providing uh, an ease of digestion and assimilation? Uh, and does it make you feel good? Does it kind of increase your body temperature? Does mm. it promote digestive practices? And if it doesn't, you know, that's going to start interrupting sleep by producing more serotonin and histamine which are these wake-on kind of transmitters that will wake you up when there's high amounts of intestinal inflammation. Mm. I follow this um, lady on Instagram. She's like a marketing type person. She's really awesome actually, but she's like been low carb for years and years and years. She takes a lot of fish oil and I always see a post about how her periods are horrendous every month Yeah, and like terrible cramping. And I'm like, oh, I just feel like saying to her, stop eat some fucking carbs and stop taking the fish oil. Like, you know, what's the thing with this fish oil and the like people and fish oil? Yeah. Fish oil does slow down the thyroid. You know, I've seen some papers where it's been used to take someone out of a hypothyroid state by slowing the thyroid down. Um, And again, we talked about kind of why people favor them for heart health. I said, what it actually does, it degrades cholesterol production. So all you're doing is lowering cholesterol. It's analogous to taking a statin. Well, we know with statins that there are, there are many problems associated with statin use and the long-term effects because it can calcify the arteries. You, mm-hmm. You're taking away the production of cholesterol. Cholesterol is an antioxidant. Uh, and when you start to flood you know, cells and things with unsaturated fatty acids, from a, a cellular perspective and a neurological perspective, you can see plenty of, uh, of uh, long-term effects. Now, everyone goes on about, and you see it in quite a few studies, and you see people banging on about it in social media, about fish oils for neurological health to prevent Alzheimer's, uh, dementia, and Parkinson's. There are plenty of studies on the flip side of that that show that excess amounts of these fatty acids worsen the neurological decline, particularly in Parkinson's, because when you get these fatty acids like omega-3s and DHA, they create something called acinuclein. And it's, it's a protein that causes dysregulation 
um, within the neurolo neurological structures and degrades uh, brain metabolism and it can favor like a, a what they call type 3 diabetes which is poor glucose response in in the brain now some studies say find that say oh with alzheimer's and dementia we find low levels of uh, omega-3s therefore you must need more to prevent that decline and actually because omega-3s and particularly these long chain fatty acids are the ones that are oxidized most readily they will be used as a fuel source first of all so for example, in dementia, if you can't utilize glucose in the brain efficiently, and bear in mind that glucose is the primary fuel source for, for brain cells, you start to get this kind of diabetic uh, effect where you can't metabolize the glucose and the sugars. So what starts to happen, you start to favor fatty acid oxidation. So this fatty acid oxidation will always go for the long chain fatty acids, first of all, like fish oils, omega-3s, EPAs, DHA. So that loss where you see that low level, is that just then being metabolized first? So this kind of correlation, it's, it's, it, it, there is an association there, but I don't think it's the way that people think it is. And when you look at the other studies related to um, how, say, omega-3s haven't improved uh, aspects of neurological function, they've had very little impact at all. And in cases like Parkinson's, where you see more neurological decline with the increased amount of fatty acids, this should get some alarm bells ringing about whether they're healthy or not. And this is why I think you're going to see a lot of people who've been taking fish oils, you may see enhanced neurological decline over time. Mm, scary, Hayla. I used to pound them. I remember when I was like, did this competition, my coach had me taking eight a day, eight fish oil tablets a day, eating nuts, eating seeds, taking flaxseed oil. Um, oh, it's just, you know, you just, you know, you just want to scream at these people and go like, just stop, like stop you killing yourself. Like you just, but they are so sucked in. It's like, you know, can't, like surely you must think that having horrendous period pain is not normal. Like, and that, you know, maybe what you're doing with your diet is potentially like causing the issues. And then they just want to go actually, and this is sort of related to this, but what do you think about CBD oil? It seems like a bit all of the rage at the moment. I, I don't have really have an opinion on it. I know it's got very mm. high paper content. Mm. So I think it's going to have, it can have some effects. Obviously there are some beneficial quantities from pain, Relief. I mean, there were some pretty negative studies on CBD, uh, just general cannabis kind of consumption. I, I think there's probably a very double-edged sword and you're, you're getting one gain for another. It's a, it could be almost analogous to kind of fish oil consumption about supposedly lowering these lipid values by actually having a degenerative effect over time. But I haven't, haven't really researched. is isn't something I've really looked at, to be honest. Mm, yeah, it's just interesting how like people, like a friend of mine, she messaged me recently and she we met her when we had our gym and she um, had like low thyroid function, hair was falling out and she, you know, ate all the food and got better and had a baby, but she's got a business and she's just one of the, like gets stressed and under eats. So she's a bit of an under eater, um, yeah. even though she eats the right, like good foods, it's not enough. And she's messaged me and she's like, I just can't sleep. Like I just have not slept for like seven days. And it's like, I said, you need to eat more food. I said, go away, put what you're eating in my fitness pal so I can show you. I just want you to see physically how much you're eating. Yeah, and she was eating like really low calories. I said, you've just done this for months and months and months. So your body's just sort of like you've just gone through like all your reserves and now you're, you know, your stress hormones is constantly elevated so you can't sleep. And I said, you've, you've just got to eat, eat more food. And she's like, I think someone had told her like you should take CBD oil or you should take melatonin or whatever. And I said, just do this, just eat more food. You don't need to do that. Like address the underlying issue, which is too high stress, not enough energy. It's pretty simple. Like you don't have to do anything. Like it'll it'll fix itself. Sure. Um, you're just pushing yourself too hard. Yeah. And so yeah, she's she's. I said to her, you've got to eat two thousand calories. I said just eat the fucking food, would you? And so she has been, and she's her sleep started improving. She's like, I'm feeling so much less anxious. And she yeah. said, can't remember what her message said, but it was like, fuck, kitty. She's like, how many people do you think would just be hanging on by a thread and taking all these supplements when they're not actually fixing the underlying issue? Yeah. Yeah. I, I just beggars belief. They're probably, well, I, you know, I, I had some, a, a doctor contact me the other day. So could I look at the supplement list of a woman? And she was literally taking like five thyroid supplements, some adrenal supplements. She, she runs marathons and trains every day of the week and she's experiencing hair loss. And that's <laughs> like, what's she running from? You know, uh, you know, if you can't, you know, and that's what a lot of people's dietary approach is, is like, it's supporting their exercise, but it's not supporting their 
their function from a hormone perspective, from a mood and balance perspective, mm. you know, anxiety and uh, depression go on the same kind of thyroid suppressive scale. Uh, and you know, just e- even eating enough is 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 usually helpful enough to set, restore someone's thyroid hormone and progesterone production sometime. But I don't know, nobody nobody tells you that. And a lot, lot of doctors. Mm-hmm. I saw this well-known doctor who's very popular on Instagram calling out someone for I think it was for promoting an adrenal cocktail, orange juice and salt and stuff like that. And it, you try and question him on it. I said, so just to be clear, you're saying that food can't impact your hormones. And uh, no response, but you know, people yeah. call this out, but I, I don't think doctors understand, unfortunately, the role of uh, nutrition in hormones. And I could give you a hundred different examples of how a nutrient or a food stuff could Im- impact hormones. And it's one of the basic fundamental strategies that doesn't cost any money that isn't going to, uh, unless you're kind of living somewhere where you're unable to afford food. Uh, this is a very, very basic strategy that you can do to make yourself feel better. And that's eating on a regular basis, right? Mm. Yeah. And I think too, like, obviously supplements have their place and I take supplements, but like you say, like, if you're just not eating enough, if your energy expenditure is too high and you're not, you know, eating enough to support that, you're going to run into problems. It doesn't matter how many supplements you take. Like I've seen it with women in our program. They're like, because they're so scared sometimes of like, I don't want to gain weight. I want to be lean. And they're like, oh, I'm taking all the supplements. I'm eating this much food. I'm like, you're not eating enough. You're still too training. You're training too much. Like it doesn't matter what supplements you take. It's yeah. not going to matter. Like yeah. you're still in a deficit and an energy deficit and you can't fix your issues until you get into a surplus or like at least, you know, dial back some of that stress. And But I think it's just everyone wants a quick fix. Obviously they're like, oh, it'd be so awesome if I could just take this supplement and it would fix everything. Right. Yeah. 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 That, that's why I still have my kind of uh, leading question for clients who are kind of wanting to come on board. I say, how do you feel about gaining weight on my program? <laughs> It's like I know I'm getting the right client if they say I'm not I'm not that fast. But if they say it can't happen, it can't happen. I said, well, mm-hmm. you know, your menstrual cycle, you haven't had one for three years. You're not sleeping very well. You said you're anxious and you're not pooping every day. What's the priority here? You, you, weight gain might be a little bit of a priority for you. Hmm. Yeah, it's um, yeah, it's a, it's a it's a it's sometimes a hard route to follow because I think you really got to dig deep. And I think yeah. for a lot of people too, there's underlying trauma, especially for women, yeah. you know, as to reasons why they're restricting or like the, you know, we've, we get a lot of women come into our program who are bigger, who've restricted, but really binge and they're like a hundred kilos, but the process is the same. They've got to get healthy first, you know, Absolutely. like it's, it doesn't, and it's a slow process, you know, it's mm-hmm. not like, you're going to lose 30 kilos in 12 weeks. It's going to take you probably 18 months, two years to really get it off in a safe, sustainable way. Well, you know, you see quite a few good strength coaches out there these days who are talking good sense. It's like, it's about how you apply yourself over the long term, right? With your mm. conditioning program and stuff. And yeah. you don't need to be involved in heavy conditioning programs or, you know, you might just like walking or swimming or Pilates or yoga or whatever. Mm. You know, you would get some games, but it's about the long game. It's not going to happen over time. Sure, if you, if weight training can be useful because obviously you can you can develop more muscle mass and things can go a bit bit smoother. But again, to the extent that you're not nourishing yourself to get those gains to develop more muscle tissue, to get adequate sleep so that you can utilize those kind of anabolic hormones, it's like... It's pointless. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, you've really got to, I think for a lot of people, it's lowering stress and eating more Hey. Yeah, you know, in all areas, like we talk about, like relationships, and if it's your work, or like you talk a lot about pollution and toxins and things that you're rubbing on your skin, like all of those things contribute, right, to stress on the body. Yeah, and you know, don't if you if you're in an urban environment in a city where there's plenty of pollution, you cannot discount that as an, as a, an unseen factor that's kind of screwing up your goals sure you can go calorie deficits but you know that's why i think some people have a hard time just even promoting getting close to a calorie deficit because they're still having to deal with the environment mm. the environment is just one of the most un- under appreciated uh, elements in in someone's goals uh, and sure you will get some people who can be pushed into a hole getting them very very thin very quickly very lean uh, but there's there's usually an artifact to that that will come back and bite you on the bum well, it's pretty easy to get someone lean quickly. You just cut their yeah. calories and make them do lots of exercise and make oh, yeah. them be consistent. Anyone can do it. It's like yeah. these, like I think it annoys me a bit sometimes. It's like calories don't matter. Well, calories matter. They matter. Like, you know, someone says I can't lose weight. It's like, 
you can, but you just have to eat nothing and starve yourself. Like, have you ever seen a fat POW, prisoner of war? No. Like the whole, like, I just, I think, you know, women and only because we've got them in our program and when you dig a bit deeper and talk to them more and unpack a lot of the shit that's going on, they just end up telling you that they're binging. Yes, they're eating 1,200 calories during the week, but then on the weekend they fall off the wagon because you can't get to 100 kilos eating 1,200 calories. It's impossible. If I taped your mouth shut and you only ever ate 1,200 calories, that's not the right way to do it, of course. But you've got to, I think, you know, get out of that cycle of I'm going to severely under eat because you just end up binging and eating shit and eating hundreds of of thousands of calories of shit food. Like we talked about the pufas, you know, whereas if you eat more consistently on a day-to-day basis, balance your blood sugar, give your body the nutrients you need, you're not going to get to the weekend and then go, okay, I'm going to, you know, eat 10 pizzas, a box of chocolates, you know. Yeah. 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 Even starting the day with a decent breakfast is one of the kind of Hundred percent agree. Yeah, yeah you, you can notice. Like even like I've sort of experimented as would you have over the years. Like I really have to have a pretty carb heavy breakfast. Like I wake up in the morning and I feel like I, I need it. And if I don't have it, especially because I also have coffee with my breakfast, I put sugar and milk in it too. But I yeah. need those carbs. You know, otherwise yeah. I I can feel a bit lightheaded or I can feel my stress hormones rising if I don't. Yep. Yeah, essential. I mean, there's quite a few studies that show that actually um, you can lose weight more if you skip breakfast, but you're more prone to metabolic inflexibility in a lot of those studies when they're kind of chronic. So you see a lot of these people that still go, you know, I have coffee and I train fasted. And it's like, I feel great. Why have you got got all these issues? (laughs) Oh, I know. It's crazy, isn't it? But I think people just are in denial too, because it's a really scary thought, I think, for some women or even men, I guess, that they might have to gain some weight. They're going to have to put the hard work in. It's not going to be quick. They have yeah. to get to like uncover some emotional trauma. Trauma. It's it's hard. It's not an yeah. easy process. It's 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 hard work. But I mean, long term, it's way better, and yeah. it's way quicker than spending the next twenty years starving yourself and yo-yo dieting. Yeah, and I think it was Ray Pete. I love this quote. It's something like. When your thyroid functions, you can think about something the way you want to. But, you know, when your thyroid doesn't function, you're more prone to anxious or depressive states, your avoidance, uh, your kind of interaction with the environment is substantially decreased. And it's like if you're kind of in a diet that's restricting how you function, how you produce your kind of coherent organizational hormones like progesterone being one, thyroid being one, Mm. testosterone, uh, and anabolic hormones, then you, you can't really, you're probably not being the best version of yourself. And that's why when you start to eat a bit better, I, I've had ladies come into my office crying in tears. And I said, have you eaten anything today? They went, no, I'll go into the office. At, uh, <laughs> I've always got a bar of chocolate somewhere. I said, yeah, of and you just see their eyes come back to life. And, you know, yeah. I, I think that there's a, I always say that if you're having a shit day, Go, go and walk somewhere in the sun and have an ice cream. Life won't seem so bad. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think you've got to contest. Sure, you can overeat and you can over overconsume hyper-palatable calories. But, you know, um, there's, there's, a, there's context to everything. But just kind of uh, most of the people I tend to see aren't overeating. They're generally undereating. Yeah. Or they undereat and they binge. Yeah, exactly. That's what they do. Yeah. yeah. And it's, you just got to, it, it is hard to break that cycle. I think cause you just, you you're like, we'll, we'll, when women come to our programs, we'll like, we'll get them to track their food for a few days and see where they're at. And yeah. if they're really under eating and they're a bigger client and they're like saying that they're eating 1200 calories, I'm like, you've got, we've just got to get you eating more during yeah. the week. Like you've got to time, right. Throughout the day, like not eating for 10 hours. Yeah. Or I've had some people come to me with nutritious. They've been put on six to 800 calories a day. <gasps> But, and they still haven't lost weight. And it's like, well, okay, either, either something's a mystery that you you are consuming more than that. Or to be honest, if you have got quite kind of quite an overt frank hypothyroidism. But that, really, they, Tomo, though, if someone, if you take someone's mouth, you gave them in, say if they're locked in a room or like in a controlled environment and they only ever ate 600 calories and when it, they would lose weight, they have to. Like it's yeah, not yeah. possible, even with thyroid problems. Like, but people miscalculate what they're eating, then they binge. They binge. Like, I think when, yeah, I think when you're getting kind of more than somewhere between 1,000 to 1,500 calories and you have a thyroid issue, you're going to yeah. find it quite hard to lose weight. But cer- certainly if you're kind of in that very kind of very low catastrophic, low, 
low energy state, then ultimately you will lose weight, of course. But I think it also depends on how much do you weigh to start with. Like yeah. someone who's 110 kilos, they've not been eating 600 calories. It's impossible. You can't gain. You can't. It's not, you know, like it's, it's, but it's the, it's the, you know, I remember talking to a lady in the gym once and she's like 130 kilos and she's like, oh, no, Kitty, I've been really consistent in eating 1200 calories, not losing weight. And I really probed her. And then she broke down and she's like, no, I've been binge eating all this on the weekend. Like, you know, but it's, you'll never break that cycle unless you just eat more consistently every day. Yeah. 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 Yeah, You can't, you know, but like women, the ones that have genuinely restricted those low calories are like 55 kilos and they're eating a thousand calories. They can't lose weight. I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. Cause you have been eating this low calories for so long that you're, and you're so light, you're so lean. You look at them. They're like, haven't got an ounce of fat on them. Yeah, you know, so yes, it's possible that you're that you're actually surviving on. We, I remember this lady came into our program and she was just so thin and lean and no period for six years. She says, "I've been eating a thousand calories." I said, "I believe you. <laughs> Look at you, nine hundred yeah. calories actually." And she's yeah. like, "I'm just, I'm fucked. My hair's falling out." And so we just gradually, in time, increased her calories, and yeah, she got a period back and was yeah. feeling better. But you're like, yeah, you have actually been eating nine hundred calories. Yeah, and you know those, those turn to people—the people who tend to be doing aggressive exercise as well. Yeah, so you see it quite advanced. Whereas some people that perhaps aren't eating uh, as aggressively as that, you know, sometimes they they've got to a state where they're just not motivated, and their mm. their BMR is so low as well because they're mm. not doing much. They've just lost. They've kept, become anhedonic and just kind of just don't want to interact with any. I don't necessarily mean interacting with people because sometimes I just can't be bothered to be out. <laughs> to anyone but you know just totally removed from any kind of interaction there's nothing wrong with being introverted but the the restriction and the kind of asceticism driving their kind of day-to-day interaction the environment from not getting enough calories just like they don't want to do anything they don't want to move they want to lock themselves Mm. in and talk to anyone so Mm. yeah there's there's varying context to everything isn't there oh absolutely yeah and you just i think We've all just got to eat more, eat consistently, eat in a certain amount of calories per day, get the nutrients in, get sun, lower, you know, do all the things that we talk that we talk about. But hopefully this was helpful because I just get a lot of women ask me about the green vegetables and the nuts and the seeds and the grains and the legumes and the pufas and stuff. So, you know, hopefully this really helps and women realise that they don't need to, you know, just be pounding these things every day. Yeah, I th- yeah, it's like, you know, and also, you know, the flip side of that, if you are doing that and it's working for you, you get good sleep, energy, fertility, mood, libido, digestion, energy, all this kind of stuff. I can't argue with it. But if it's not, they're a very easy place to go to change that. But you have you ever met anyone that was doing all those things and had great metabolism, eating lots of food, great sleep? I've never yeah, met anyone. They're not my clients, though. So I don't know. I've never seen anything to hold them accountable to that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I do that. I do that. And it's fine. Absolutely fine. So you just don't know. Yeah. I think, though, too, like sometimes, because I'll get clients message me, like, oh, I've started eating proto metabolic um, foods and I've actually, my temps and pulses have got lower and I feel more tired. I'm like, yeah, that's normal because you're running on stress hormones. So you eat, finally eating and everything's dropping. It's actually a sign that things are improving, even though you feel like it's going backwards. Or they'll be like, oh, I went back to keto and, you know, I've just cut out like all of these foods and my digestion's improved. And it's like you say, like, well, if you cut out the broccoli and all this other stuff, of course your digestion's going to improve. And you may feel good initially, yeah. but come back in 12 months and then show me how you're feeling. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that, that's it. Yeah. But anyway, we could talk for hours. But that was really great. Thank you so much, Tomo. Thanks as usual. And um, I'll just I'll pop the GoFundMe link down again in the notes so if anyone wants to contribute to Tomo's uh well tell them what you're doing because if they haven't heard they're like well what the hell are we contributing to we're just giving Tomo money <laughs> yeah, it's just my my PhD which is costing me about 45 to 50 thousand pounds um, holy moly that's like and, 100k yeah and it's mostly the, the the access to the lab the teaching fee is a kind of a usual kind of university thing, but the access to the lab to do the experiments that I want to do to check how you can rest to potentially check how you can rescue various aspects of pollution with a, um, a T3 combo rather than just the standard Luvothyroxine is what I'm aiming at. So I'm just, 
I've got a meeting with my professor today, actually, on, on, on study and stuff. So, yeah, it's uh, starting this year. It's six years long and it's costing me a fortune and I'm, I'm trying. To, <laughs> uh, I have had some, a great response so far. I've raised £5,000 so far. And obviously I'm contributing most, a lot of the money is coming from my own pocket. But anybody who wants to, to donate to some independent, honest science, I would be very grateful for. Yeah, it's good. It'll be exciting. We'll be yeah. see where you're at in six years. <laughs> We're looking forward to the results. Buried on the paper, I'd imagine. <laughs> oh, so funny. Oh, well, thanks so much, Tomo. It's um, as always awesome to have you on. I always learn something new and I hope that that was uh, helpful for the viewers. And we'll see cool. you again next time. Good to see you. Thanks for having me on. Bye. Bye. Bye.